भद्रम करने भिश्रुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्ये मोक्ष स्थिरंगुष्टुवागं सस्तनु व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तीर्णस्ताक्षरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शांत शांत शांति हरि मे वी हियर विथ अवर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस मे वी सी विथ अवर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस वेल प्रेइंग विथ स्टडी लिम्स मे वी अटेंड द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्टो वेल बींग ऑन अस मे पुषण द गॉड ऑफ द अर्थ हु इज ऑल नोइंग बेस्टो वेल बींग ऑन अस मे गरूर द डिस्ट्रॉयर ऑफ इविल बेस्टो वेल बींग ऑन अस मे बृहस्पति ऑल्सो best of all being on us om shanti 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 so in the last few classes we have entered into the section of the mundaka upanishad where we find the discussion is to illustrate the fact that brahman alone is the be all and end all of the entire existence from brahman alone the entire existence has emanated the physical world as well as the mental world as well as all the activities everything whatever we see in this universe all actions all thoughts all sentient and insentient beings everything has emanated from brahman so before entering into the discussion of the mantras we will just give an prelude an introduction that how that idea that the brahman alone has pervaded the universe is being described in these mantras because the mantras by themselves when you study as if relates to the vedic ages and which has as if nothing to do with the present way of life so it will be speaking of rigveda samveda yajurveda the diksha yagya and all those terminology will come which we find that as if it has nothing to do with our day to day existence in the present world it relates something to the very very old civilization of thousands of years back and then the question comes then why we study this so to have a prelude before we go into the mantra so that we can have an idea that these mantras though relating to something of past of thousands of years back do have something to relate to the to convey some message to the present world what's that before going into the discussion let us just try to uh discuss what swami vivekananda says as per the theory of the creation in one of his lectures not only one in many of his lectures he has resorted 
to a type, to a simile, to an allegory. That what? What is that allegory? That we, with our senses, see the world, perceive the world. With our eyes, I see everything. But can I see myself? To see myself, I need a mirror. Similarly, the Brahman, though he is omniscient, omnipotent, he is eternal. But to know his own nature, he as if like us, the way we can see everything, but to have an idea that how I look like, I need a mirror. Similarly, the Brahman as if to know his own glory needs a reflection. So this is a wonderful a simile with Swami Vivekananda is illustrating in few of his lectures. And now to see his own glory, what he does, it is from him, the cosmic mind emanates. It's not the real transformation. It's just a projection. That's like the mirror, the cosmic mind. And the cosmic mind, when it emanates from that, after that, the entire creation comes out from that mind. So the creation, behind the creation is the ideas, is the mind. The consciousness, from that evolves the ideas, the concepts, from the ideas and concepts, emanates the world. So this physical world as such has its source in consciousness, in ideas, in thoughts, in concepts. Just the way when I have to construct a house, before the material come, first I have to have a visualization of what I want. Intellectually I have to draw a picture. In my mind I have to draw a picture. So every creation happens twice. First it's in our imagination, then in the reality. I draw a picture in my mind and then in a paper, I draw, I sketch the blueprint based on that. Now the physical world comes into being. Similarly from the mind, first the concepts, from that, that's the concepts, is like the blueprint, from that the creation emanated. Now, as the, we should remember that why the creation? Because Brahman wants to realize his own glory and he uses the creation as his mirror. So first, this inanimate world, it's a very poor mirror where the reflection of that ultimate reality is obscured because there is no consciousness as such palpable. From that when gradually the animate world comes into existence, the sentient beings come into existence. First, we find very preliminary forms of life. They are also very poor images, poor reflection of the Brahman. And the entire process of evolution speaks of clearing of the mirror. First, it was a turgid water where only the outline was seen. Then the water was clean and then we had some mirror which was not even and then we had a very a mirror which had an even surface there was no dust and we saw the ultimate reflection so all this evolution is an attempt 
to get the more and more clearer reflection so that Brahman realizes his own glory. So the entire creation came out from Brahman. The entire evolution is nothing but the evolution of the projection, the projection which is Brahman and Brahman alone, that is evolving, evolving of the evolution of the projection so that Brahman at last sees his own reflection in the creation. And that happens only in the human being. Human being is the best mirror. And that also not all human beings, the one who through spiritual practices has cleansed his mind, that mind has become like a mirror. It has been cleansed from all the dirt, from all the impurities. That's the idea of the Chitta Shuddhi. In the Shuddha Chitta, the Brahman ultimately is being reflected in his full glory. And then Brahman is satisfied. And then the purpose of the creation is served. And then it reverts back to its original uh, self. That all the process through which it is going through was just to realize his nature, nothing else. And so now why we are giving this intro uh, introduction that Brahman himself has as if imposed the ignorance on him to find expression as the jiva. As in the Yoga Sutras we find is the idea of pancha klesha that from ignorance comes asmita from Asmita, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Why we are bringing this idea? That first form of life, when it comes to this earth, what it's like? Just a small micro. The non-local Brahman now is reflected in that micro and it thinks it is the micro because of that ignorance. The Asmita, Agyan, from Agyana, that it forget has forgotten its own self. It takes the reflection to be its own, its identity. And that's the asmita from Agyana comes asmita. The limited ego is the asmita. The ego, sense of ego. That I am this limited being. Even the micro thinks that that is that micro body is its identity. From that comes the other three kleshas, Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. What's that? Now, as the microbe is identified with the body, the Brahman is identified with the microbe body. So someone behind is saying you're eternal, but the microbe body is not eternal. It can be annihilated. But to respond to that echo, which is coming from behind that you're eternal, it is trying to realize that eternity in the physical body, which is not possible. But it is trying. And in, in its attempt, what it is, uh, what it's, uh, what's the reaction? The reaction comes in the form of Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Attachment, aversion, fear. Anything which helps to sustain this limited existence, it develops Raga for that, attachment for that. Anything which is detrimental to that physical existence. It develops a fight and flight response. That's been spoken of as the Dvesha and Abhinivesha. So it's a Brahman who is finding expression as the microbody, not only microbody, with all the attempts to evolve, 
so that the echo of the eternity which is coming from behind is realized through that body. It goes on. Now the evolution is going on. The micro body, small micro conglomerates, many microbes conglomerates, there is division of labor so that they want to be equipped better to fight with all the factors which is detrimental for his eternity. He's evolving that way. There's a division of labor. In a micro body, all the biological functions are done by that single cell. But as it evolves by the conglomeration, we find there's a wonderful group work, teamwork, that you take, you take part of the, you take the responsibility of digestion, you take the responsibility of respiration, you of excretion, you of circulation, you of assimilation. So that's how the human body at last has evolved. Still someone behind is saying, you're eternal, which is not realized. In this limited body, still it is trying. In this attempt, is all the karma kandas in the yagya, in the Vedas which are mentioned that doing this yagya you attend heaven. There you can stay almost through eternity. That's the relative eternity. It's maybe a longer span of life. But that the one that out of ignorance, someone behind the physical body, behind the physical psychophysical existence, the one who is saying that you are eternal, to realize that eternity because of ignorance in that limited body it now starts resorting to all the Vedas to do the yajyas so that even after death in subtle body, it can enjoy relative eternity in heaven. Still that ignorance is there. Till the idea dawns in that it is because of ignorance, I am in search of eternity. I'm already eternal. To realize that at last the mind has to be cleansed where the Brahman reflects in that cleansed mind to show that in reality he is that eternal existence, which has no death, not in the physical form, but as the spirit, as the soul. So the entire process of evolution, who is doing? The self. He has as if imposed upon him that ignorance. And after imposing ignorance, it is evolving as a physical being. It is going to heaven. It is going to all those relative planes of existence, still in ignorance, at last to realize his own self and again go back to his own nature. So with this uh, prelude, with this discussion, now you will find that what was the aspiration of the Vedas with that society which they have, the same aspiration we do have. We are also, the science is evolving for the better quality of life, more lifespan. And even if we may not have the ideas of heaven, but we cannot deny that we want to have longer and longer span of life. And that also, it has to be qualitative, not as a vegetative, not just lying in the bed in a vegetative state. I want to enjoy the quality of the life and more longer and longer life with all sorts of amenities for my pleasure, where all the limitations as a physical being which I face, I can through all my inventions, through all my discoveries, I can get rid of them and enjoy more and more freedom. 
the same, though you will find the terminologies are different, the society is different, but the aspirations are the same. So if you take this discussion in our background of our mind, then we will find that though these mantras are speaking of a society, where yagyas were there, whether the study of the Vedas were prevalent, and based on the study of the Vedas, the Karmakandas were there. All those things were there, but behind that, the aspiration to reach that, to attain that eternity, which is already there because of ignorance you are trying. The Brahman alone has projected himself as all this network of Karmakanda to experience the eternity, which is already his because of ignorance. He is not at present realizing it. He wants to realize that. So that way, the Upanishad now is saying that all this attempt which you are doing, the entire existence, that existence which has resulted in that human being, in the last mantra, we saw that how from the rains, the cereals are there, the crops are grows, eating the crops, the human sustains themselves. And after sustaining, they can think of procreation. And that's how the human beings are born. So in the entire process, again, it is a Brahman. The Brahman, because of ignorance, is going through this entire process of evolution as the inanimate world, as the cloud, as the animate, as the plants. It is evolving at last as a human being. Now, as a hu <coughs> human being, it doesn't stop. As per the civilization is concerned, as per our concept of further happiness is concerned, it goes on still pursuing on those lines to enjoy the life qualitatively a better life and longer span. In the olden days, it found expression in the ideas of heaven. Maybe present in the present world, we do have the idea of afterlife. That's why internet is full of this NDE, the near-death experiences. In spite of all our scientific research, our scientific assertion that there is nothing after this life, we find in universities, there are certain sections who have started studying this panpsychism, which speaks of afterlife. It has entered, it, it is bound to creep in. We can never think ourselves limited. It has crept in the study of this panpsychism. That there is the psyche exists even after death. It continues, it takes birth. There's a lot of research, lot of work going on on those fields. You'll find it's the same thing. Then the Vedas, the language was different, but at the present, it's a, the language is different. But the aspiration behind all the language, behind all the nomenclature, behind all the social structure is the same. Now the Vedas is trying to open our eyes to help us to get rid of the ignorance by saying that this entire creation, this all these aspirations after all is the Brahman. Brahman emanating as this entire creation. So really to find uh, fulfillment through these limitations, I can never reach the unlimited through the limited. You just have to renounce. You're already that evolution. As per the Vedantic study, is the, we accept the revolution, but it's not something, a straight line. It's in a straight line that eternally we are progressing. 
as per the Upanishads, the evolution is cyclic. From Brahman, it starts, it evolves as the entire creation. And once I realize that it was my attempt to know myself, that is the entire creation has emanated from me, at last I go back again to my pure original nature, true original nature. I get established in that. So the Upanishad through all these mantras, whatever the social structure was available in those days is trying to make us aware of the fact that everything is Brahman and Brahman alone. The more we get established in that idea, the more the idea that I am a limited being falls off, the more the Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha will fall off. They will get attenuated. Their strength will be reduced because I know nothing can annihilate me. I am eternal. This attempt to find eternity in this limited existence is something which is a product of ignorance. I'm already eternal. So all this gradually starts falling off. The more and more I get established in the idea that I am Brahman and it is the Brahman which is emanating as the universe. Everything is Brahman. It is just his play. Nothing is annihilated. Once this projection of the ignorance vanishes, the projection falls back. It's again merges in its real nature. The entire creation, the cosmic mind is like the prism, which when you hold in front of the white light, breaks into the spectrum. You remove the prism, where the spectrum goes, it again merges in the white light. So from Brahman we come, the cosmic mind, when the mind is totally cleansed and we realize our real nature, it is just like the removing of the mind and the spectrum, which was projected because of that mind, again merges with the reality. So to realize that everything is Brahman, in those days, whatever the social structure was there, whatever aspirations were there, the Upanishad with the succeeding few mantras will try to bring home this awareness that everything is Brahman. Nothing is there apart from Brahman. As in the Bhagavad Gita, we study that sloka, Brahmaarpanam Brahmahavi, Brahmagnau Brahmanautam, Brahmaivatena Gantavyam, Brahmakarma Samadhina. That's the idea which will be elucidated in the succeeding few mantras. So with this prelude, let us now enter into the mantras. The sixth mantra of the first chapter of the second part of Mandakopanishad. What it says, Tasmat Rika Sama Yajungshi Diksha Yagyascha Sarve Kratavo Dakshinascha Sangvatsarascha Yajamanascha Lokaha Soma Yatra Pavate Yatra Surya. So it is from him all the Vedas has emanated. The Rik, the Sama. The Rik is in the form of poetry. The Vedas, which is in the form of poetry, is the Rik. The Vedas, which has to be sung in the form of songs, in the form of tunes, that is the Sama Veda. From the Sama came the song. From the Yaju, Yajungshi, the Yaju Yajur Veda is the, in, written in the prose. So this prose poetry we find is 
has emanated from the Vedas. In the Vedas, the poetry, the poetry, the, the Vedas, which is in the form of poetry, is the Rik. The Vedas, which has to be sung, is the Sama. The Vedas, which are in the form of prose, is the Yaju, this Yajur Veda. So all these Vedas has emanated from him. What's the idea? The word Veda came from Viddhatu, means to know. So knowledge means the encyclopedia of knowledge is Veda. Viddhatu means to know and Veda means knowledge. So the entire knowledge, so as we were saying, that Brahman first finds expression as the cosmic mind. And that cosmic mind is full of these ideas, the concepts. So all these Vedas in the form of poetry, song, prose, is the reflection of the ideas behind the creation. So from him came those Vedas. Tasmat Rik Sam Yajungshi, that's the idea. Now, to get initiated in the Karmakanda, now what this, all the Karmakandas which are mentioned in the Vedas, that to evolve, that the biological evolution has happened till human being. From human being, as a human being, we will find the biological evolution has, lose, has lost its importance. There is almost no biological evolution as a human being. Now we are evolving mentally through our intellect. What a grand civilization we have created. It's through intellect. Through this intellect, we have created a way of life by which after death, even in subtle body, we can continue to enjoy the higher states of consciousness, higher states of existence. And that's all is mentioned in the Vedas, in the form of Karmakandas. So to get initiated into the path, to get established in the Karmakanda and ultimately in Brahmagyana, this initiation is called the Diksha. So this Diksha is something which is encrypted in Brahman. The Brahman to know himself has first projected itself as the universe and then as the Vedas and this uh, first as the Vedas and from the Vedas, the universe in the Vedas, the ideas are all there, the concepts are there. And in this concept, just the way it has came spirally downwards to this creation, there is a way again to take us out spirally outwards. And that's what speaks of Diksha, that we have got bound because of Adhyarupa. Adhyarupa means superimposition. In the Vedanta, these are the terms they use. And there is a way out that is called Apavada. Just the way a cocoon, what it does first for its own growth, the cocoon is formed. And at last the cocoon has to break so that the butterfly may fly off from that cocoon. Similarly, Adhyarupa, first we have formed this cocoon of called creation. And there is a way out, just where we know that when the cocoon is formed, within that the programming is there that at last, when it's proper time, the cocoon has to break and the butterfly has to fly off. Similarly, in the plan of the creation, it is encrypted there, that there should be a way to again come out of it 
The book have already been read. Now I have to come out of it and again get established in my real self. For that, I have to be initiated into the path of the spiritual practice. And that's what is called apavada. That all the superimposition which has led me to this state of existence, from that again I can move out. Again I can come out of this. I can transcend this. And to transcend this state of limited existence, the knowledge for which uh, the Vedas are the storehouse, I have to be initiated into that process. And that initiation is called the Diksha. So the Diksha is also encrypted in that knowledge. And that knowledge is a projection of Brahman. So all the process of initiation is something which has emanated from Brahman. The Vedas has emanated from Brahman. The Diksha, the initiation has initiated from Brahman. All the Yajna, the, all the process by which I can enjoy the relative eternity in the higher planes of existence, the Swarga, for that these Yajnas are there. So this all Yajna, this process of Yajna, <clears throat> which is uh, in the Karmakanda of the Vedas, they came from him because the consciousness, from the consciousness, the all the knowledge, the concepts, and in those concepts, uh, this yajna is also there. The karmakanda of the Vedas is also there. So all the yajna, all the krata, kratava, kratu, kratu is also sacrifice. Yajna, sarve, krata, kratava, dakshina. Then now to get uh, initiated into this, the science of yajna and kratu, you have to have a teacher. And when the question of teacher is there, you have to remunerate him. So that is the dakshina. So everything, this the dakshina, the guru, the who is going to initiate in the karmakanda, everything is nothing but Brahman and Brahman alone. Now, this Upanishads, we should study the words, we should be very, very uh, specifically, we should know the meaning of each and every word. Now we told yajna is also sacrifice, kratu is also sacrifice. Then why these two separate words? Now well, there was animal sacrifice in some of the yajnas. So these Vedic sacrifices which involve the killing of animals, the sacrificing of the animals or birds are called kratu. And the, and the yajnas which doesn't involve killing of animals or birds, that is just called yajna. So the kratu is a particular type, a specific type of yajna where the, which involves the killing of animals or of birds. So that is kratu. So all this, these things which has been prescribed has emanated from Brahman. Now when I do yajna, it has particular time. In a particular time I have to do yajna. Even now, nowadays, Nowadays we don't do yajna, but the remnants of yajna are all the ritualistic worship. We know that all the celebrations have particular time. Few days back we had Ram Navami. And then again, there will be Guru Purnima, there will be Janmashtami, there will be Durga Puja. So you cannot do Durga Puja throughout the year. There's a particular time for it. So even these yajnas had particular times. So the entire year was actually divided into this so many times 
where particular yajnas has to be done. So the Sangvatsara is the calendar, the annual calendar, calendar with the specific times for the yajnas. That has also has emanated from Brahman. Yajamana, the one who is performing the sacrifice. Now, what does Yajamana mean? Like, if I want to have, even in the present day, if I suppose uh, for the, the child, the first rice uh, feeding ceremony, or just say that for <coughs> the marriage, the, this for the marriage, <coughs> what happens that the one who is getting married, <coughs> they will need a priest. The one who is getting married, they are performing certain rituals. In all the religions, some form of rituals are there. They're performing certain rituals. But to officiate that ritual, you need a priest. So the one who is performing the yajna, he is the yajamana. And the one who is officiating are the priests. So all those, the, the priests is something different. To whom you have given dakshina, that is a priest. And who is the yajamana? The one who is performing the yajna. Whether it is marriage, whether it is the ceremony, the one who is performing, or it is some uh, this first rice giving ceremony, or it is the uh, what you say that uh, the taking of the upavita, the dvija, uh, <clears throat> this uh, this celebration in which you have the upavita, so uh, you get initiated into the uh, this religious life. So for all this, or there are, th- there are so many innumerable yajyas. The one who is performing, to perform that yajya, he has to take the assistance of the priest who will officiate the yajya. But the one who is doing the yajya is the yajamana. So now you, I think you have understand the idea. The, <clears throat> who is yajamana? The sacrifice performer. He's not the priest. He's the performer. He has hired some. He has not, I won't say use the word hire. He has uh, taken the assistance of some priest, he has remunerated him so that he will be officiating, he will be helping him to perform the sacrifice. So all the performer of the sacrifice is the Yajamana. So that Yajamana himself is Brahman. And all the various lokas that by performing the Yajyas, it's like a software programming. If you do it correctly, properly, following all the injunctions, that results in uh, attainment of certain heaven after death. So all those levels of heaven, the lokas, they are nothing but the projection of Brahman. Soma, the oblations of the yajna is the soma. So they, the whatever the oblations you are using for the yajna, that is Brahman. Yatrapava, the soma, it purifies. It says that the oblations of the yajna, its function is to protect us, save us, purify us. So that's why yatra pavate, soma yatra pavate. All those oblations which saves us, which purifies us, which helps us to attain the higher planes of existence is Brahman. And Surya, the ultimate source of fire, which we need for the yajna, the Surya. That is also Brahman. Without sun, we cannot think of the creation. 
We cannot think of the sustenance, sustenance of life in this earth. What to speak of Yajna? So the ultimate source is the Surya. So everything is Brahman. From Brahman, the entire creation has emanated. So that's why Swami Vivekananda used to say a very nice thing that don't seek him, see him. We, we just close our eyes and seek that I will to know the ultimate reality I'm seeking with closed eyes. So Swamiji is saying it's because of ignorance. I see this creation of name and form, but behind it, it is a Brahman and Brahman alone. So open your eyes and see him. Let the ignorance falls, fall off and you see that it is a Brahman which has been projected as the universe. So as Brahman, it is real. This creation is not something unreal. There is a very interesting episode in the life of Swami Turiyananda, a direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. He was a Jnanamargi. Always he used to that do that vichara. Brahma Satya Jagan Mithya. That world, that's as is being spoken of in the Vedanta, as has been spoken of by Shankaracharya. That this world is Mithya. Brahman alone is real. Swami Turiyananda is death, but the last sentence which he said is very interesting. He told, he was throughout his life, he was doing the vichara, Brahma Satya Jagat Mithya. But in his deathbed, he started, suddenly started saying, Brahma Satya Jagat Satya. What does he mean? And then the next line he told is very important. Satya Satya Pratishtita. Brahma Satya Jagat Satya. This world as world is not real. It is real as Brahman. The Brahman is being projected as this world. So as Brahman, it is real, not as the world. So this what I see as the world, that is truth, which is established in the truth called Brahman. So that's the thing which Turiyananda at last is speaking of. And that's the idea which is being spoken of here. That all this paraphernalia of the form of yajyas in the present days, all the various academic education, all the skills which we develop, all the professions, all this mad rush for what you say, this uh, affluence, progress in life, competition, everything is Brahman. When we have this idea, then what happens? The question of hating others, the question of thinking others as my enemy, this starts falling off. I see the play behind it. Because of ignorance, I think myself as a limited being and I want to in just realize the eternity as a limited being. And from that, all this competition is going on as if we have tied a cloth in our own eyes and are running hither and thither, fighting with each other. So once you realize that it is a Brahman whose play is going on, then all the so-called this our competition, enmity, all this loses its importance. I can enjoy the calmness even in this turmoil, in this world of turmoil, when I see the Brahman behind the entire existence. So what in those days, that was the society where they used to study the Vedas, 
resort to the karmakandas, do yajna, and think of going to the and of the higher heavens after death. That was the society of social structure. So that's why these are the words they're speaking of. But we can relate it with the present world. All our aspirations, all our competitions, ratras, everything, fight, war amongst the nations, everything that loses its pangs, that its poison is falls off when you see the Lord and Lord alone behind this entire struggle. He is the Lord who is playing with his own creation. As there is a wonderful line in the poem of Kaji Najrul Islam that the ultimate reality, the Brahman is like a child. Just the way the child to the spontaneous expression of the child's joy. The child is always, the small child is always happy. And that, that happiness finds expression, spontaneous expression as the various games he is having. If you give him some model clay, with that he will make, unmake, and so many things, which has no purpose. He's making, he's destroying, again he's making something, again he's destroying. There is no purpose. It is just the expression of his joy. So all this making, unmaking has no purpose. Just the child goes on making, unmaking so many things, which speaks of the joy, finding expression through all this making and unmaking. Similarly, the Brahman is finding expression through this creation, in this rattress, in this destruction, again, in the good things, in the bad things, everything. It is just like the play of the child with this, his creation, his own creation, his universe. So the line of the poem is, Anomone. Anomone means just without any purpose, spontaneously, casually, he's the Virata Shishu. He's a child who is magnanimous, huge. Virata Shishu. Anomone. Spontaneously, casually, he's playing with his creation, which itself is a projection from him alone. So from his standpoint, there is nothing good, nothing bad. Everything is just the Leela, is the sport. So from that standpoint, we can develop an equanimity. In this life, the changes which are going on, like the dog's curly tail, we can never straighten it. For thousands of years we are trying. Everyone dreamt that the world will be changed by the new revolutions. Nothing has changed. It remains as it is. But what's the way out? Is a way out is only the shifting of our awareness, consciousness. If we don't take this as the real, the ultimate, and can just be aside, we can move aside of it and just observe it from that standpoint that I am the Brahman. And this is the projection. All this mad rush is because of my attempt to realize my own glory. For that, I have created my own limitations and I gradually that through the process of Apavada, I will go beyond the, all the limitations again to realize my own glory and get established again in my own self. So this is going on. 
So what was there in that society is also there, it applies to the present society. It's all those aspirations, which has been spoken of through all these yagyas that have changed, but the same aspiration is there, where behind it, the same aspiration, which speaks of better quality of life, longevity of life, more enjoyment, the same things we find was there, is there. And behind all those things, the Upanishad, like a benevolent mother is saying, it's all the Brahman. The Brahman alone is finding expression as that. The continuation of these ideas is in the seventh mantra. Tasmath cha deva vahudha sangprasuta sadhya manushyaha pashavo vayangsi pranapanam brihi yavau tapascha sraddha satyam brahmacharyam vidhischa. Tasmath cha deva. Now when I am doing yajna, all the oblations are meant as an offering for the celestial beings. So all the celestial beings to whom I am offering the oblations, they are also the Brahman. The Brahman has finding, finding expression in this, as this various stratum of existence as the devas. Vahudha Samprasuta. So all the various devas, they have emanated from the Brahman, the Sadhya, the Sadhya, from Sadhya, the word Sadhya came, the one who has to be attained. So there are so many Devas, but all are not worshipped. A few of the Devas who are worshipped, they are the Sadhya. So Sadhya also speaks of the Devas. So all those Devas to whom I am offering oblations are the Sadhya. They are Brahman, Manushya. The human being who is performing the yajna, who is qualified to perform the yajna, he has emanated from Brahman, Pashavo Vayangsi, as we have indicated, the animals, Pashavo is the animals, Vayangsi, the birds, which are used for as we are used for sacrifice. The animals, the birds which are sacrificed in the yajna, they are Brahman. The pranapanam, the pranayama, the breathing exercise prescribed for yajna, those who have emanated from Brahman, brihi yavo, all the cereals which are offered, the rice, the corn, which are used in the sacrifice, they have emanated from Brahman. Now, for performing the yajna, you need some qualifications. Like you have to perform some austerities, tapa. Sraddha, you have to have faith. Without faith, you will never perform the yajna. That this yajna is going to result in a result in higher level of existence. This sraddha, this faith in the scriptures, in the word of the Guru. Unless I have the faith, there is no question of performing them. So this faith, this faith, this astikya buddhi, that what has been spoken of is true. I believe in them. So this, with from that faith comes a resolution to get to remain established in satya. If I have no faith, I will find like the father of Nachiketa as has been spoken of in Katha Upanishad that he is performing yajna, but he is not established in truth. As per that yajna which he was performing, he was supposed to give all his wealth, but he was giving away all the 
cows which are of no use which can which won't be giving milk which cannot reproduce which won't be giving milk they are of no use those cows he was giving so he was not established in satya satya why because he had no shraddha just as per the social norms he was doing something in our life when we don't have shraddha the faith in the outcome of goodness we resort to all sorts of manipulations so that's why the satya is also important that faith that even in the modern age that they say that it is not just for the mercenary gain that we are in the work that i should have love for the work because of the product from that work which the product which i am going to get and that product which is going to after all help the humanity after all all our work is meant for the welfare of the human kind so i have shraddha in that whatever remuneration comes that comes automatically but i am not just for the mercenary gain i am doing i am doing for the welfare of the entire human kind so for if you have that type of what you say this astikya buddhi this positive attitude then only you can get established in satya or else the work will be a field of all manipulation so that's why tapa shraddha satya these are the words we have to relate with our present world also it's not only with the yagya and brahmacharya brahmacharya we always take in the negative sense means uh, what you say that self control but the word brahmacharya means brahme charati ya the one who is always contemplating on brahma is a brahmachari and he is practicing brahmacharya what it indicates that as you are involved engaged in something positive the mind cannot do multitasking if i am doing something positive the negative automatically falls off if i can keep myself constantly involved in the contemplation of the brahman then all the negativities all the sensed pleasures of life is bound to fall off so from that's the real meaning of brahmacharya so all these are prescribed for one who is doing the yagya so these all qualifications satya brahmacharya tapa they all are emanating from brahman so he as we were saying that as sri ramakrishna used to say very interesting thing that sharp hoye mari ojha hoye jhari as a snake i uh what you say that bite someone i inject poison the toxin this uh, venom in someone and as ojha as the one who is the doctor i apply antidote to get rid of that the toxic toxic effect the uh, the effect of the venom the toxic effect of the venom so it is the same person it is the same person who is biting as the snake and as the doctor again is getting rid of the poison sharp hoye kati roja hoye jhari so here also that after this creation came into existence he has within that creation encrypted the software to come out of it and for this the qualifications like tapa shraddha satya brahmacharya which are required to come out they also have been encrypted by brahman alone so brahman alone 
has become everything, all those qualities also, everything has emanated from Brahman. So these two, as we just indicated, these two mantras is, some, is the thing which has been nicely summarized in the 24th sloka of the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Brahmaharpanam, Brahmahavir, Brahmagnam, Brahmanahutam, Brahmaivatenagantavyam, Brahmakarma Samadhina. The act of offering is Brahman, Brahmaharpanam. In Yajna, the act of offering is Brahman. Brahmahavi, the oblation is Brahman. The fire, Brahmagno, the fire itself is Brahman. Brahmana Hutam. So, Brahmaivatena uh, Gantavyam. So, the Brahman alone is attained. By whom? Brahma Karma Sama, the one who sees Brahman in all action. He at last attains Brahman and Brahman alone. So, that's the purpose. Why? The Upanishad is trying to show us the Brahman in the entire creation that from him it has emanated. Once we realize that, we again get established in Brahman. Because the moment we can go beyond this local consciousness, all the so-called aspirations, our aspirations were, are at last basically because of these three things, Raga, Dvesha, Vinivesha, attachment, or fight and flight response. They fall off because I am no more attached with this locality. I know I'm always there as the non-local consciousness. Fear always comes only when there's a sense of two, there's an idea of two, that I am, there is someone, then only that someone can harm me. If there is no one apart from me, who can harm me? So that's why the sense of non-duality gives Abhaya. That when you are alone, you know you are alone. There is no question of bhaya. You go beyond all bhaya. And when you go beyond all bhaya, all the so-called this afflictions fall off. And then the ego gets obliterated. You get established in your real self. So that's why the Upanishad is trying again and again to make us established in that idea that it is the Brahman alone which is being emanated as the entire creations. So not only that, all our perceptions and actions proceed from Brahman. Whatever with the eyes, with our ears, we are perceiving. So that's been indicated in the next mantra, that all the perceptions and actions proceed from Brahman. So in a poetic way, they are expressing the same idea. What's that? Sapta, the eighth mantra of the first chapter of the second part of Mundaka Upanishad. Sapta prana prabhavanti tasmat. Sapta archisha samidha. Sapta homaha. Sapta ime loka yeshu charanti prana. Guhashaya nihita. Sapta sapta. Sapta prana. Here prana means not the vital energy. The seven uh, oracles, the seven Golakas, in Sanskrit they call Golaka. The real organ of perception is the mind, not these eyes, not these ears. They're the Golakas. They're just the orifices. So these orifices has been termed as prana here. This Sapta prana, these two eyes, what are the seven? Two eyes, two ears, four, two nostrils, six, one mouth, seven. 
So all our perceptions happens only with the head. The remaining of the body is not actually taking part in the so-called perception. Eyes, ears, nostrils, and tongue. So these are the seven, uh, what do you say? This orifices, golakas, which has been indicated as the sapta prana. Prabhavanti from Brahman, this has came. Sapta archisha. Now these sense organs move out just the way the, fire, the flame flares up. Similarly, these sense organs are projecting out to enable the perceptions to heaven, ha happen. So these are like the these seven orifices are something from which the flame is as if protruding in the form of act of perception. So that's why they are I mean, compared with the flames, Sapta Archisha, Samidha, the objects of perception, they are the oblations. The fire, just the way when you have something to offer to the fire, you need not even offer. If the fuel is there nearby the fire, the fire will immediately as if go and engulf the oblation. Similarly, all these objects of perception is engulfed by the fire of perception by which I'm perceiving. So these are like the oblations, Sapta Homa, Sapta Samidha. Samidha means the oblations, Sapta Homa, the seven forms of knowledge. Means through this process of perception, the knowledge, the knowledge emanates. There's a knowledge in our mind. So this knowledge is the Homa, which is in the form of Rupa, Rasa, Shabda, Sparshagandha. These five types of knowledge. This I can see Rupa, Rasa. It speaks of test. Shabda speaks of hearing. Sparsha speaks of touch. And Gandha speaks of smell. So all these five types of perception, the knowledge which emanates from this perception is the seven homa. Sapta ime loka yeshu charanti prana. The seven lokas, these lokas doesn't speak of the extraterrestrial locus. It speaks within the seven centers within the mind where these perceptions happen. They are the sapta loka. All these perceptions happens when I'm awake. When I'm sleeping, then what happens? All these perceptions are lying dormant in the heart. Guha shaya nihita. So as we give that example, you'll find that how wonderfully it just uh, coincides, it tallies with the modern neurological findings that all the knowledge is within. When I wake up, it is just the external world is a suggestion to bring out all those concepts which is lying dormant, it comes out. So here, guhashaya nihita, that all they're hidden in the mind is being indicated here. So all these sets of seven, which we find in all the living beings, not only in the humans, in all the human beings, you will find that that's the common thing that the entire creation, there is nothing beyond these five senses. So entire creation has these five senses. So these sets of sevens, sapta prana, sapta chisa, sapta sapta samidha, sapta homa, these sets of seven, which is found in all the living beings, has emanated from him. So all the perceptions and the actions which result from the perceptions emanated from him. So that's the idea. So after saying this, 
the ninth and the tenth mantra with these two mantras, this chapter, which, which was elucidating the creation as was uh, uh, conceived of in those Vedic ages. They have tried to just uh, uh, encompass the entire gamut of existence as known to them in those days. In the ninth mantra, they will speak of the Samudra, Giri, means the ocean, the mountain, the Sindhu, the, the, the rivers, and the herbs, the plants. Everything is nothing but that Brahman. And that Brahman is, again, hidden within our heart, Antaratma. So that will be indicated in the ninth mantra. So the ninth and the tenth mantra, the tenth mantra will be a summary will conclude that the, in the first chapter, the question started with that, what is that by knowing which everything is known? In the 10th mantra, it will say, it is a Brahman, which is emanated as the entire universe, knowing that everything is known. So that will be spoken of in the 10th mantra. So this ninth mantra and the 10th mantra, I know these are the mantras, which all these elaborations after all speaks of the simple truth that everything is Brahman and Brahman alone. But to just uh, appreciate the way they have uh, described the creation, the way of perception, the way of action, all the aspirations as Brahman, the categorized, we thought we do have, it do have some relevance even in the present day, if we try to relate with our present nomenclature. So it's always uh, that way is a good idea to go through those mantras Without, without just simply skipping them, just go through them. Because behind all the superfluous ideas, the crux of the knowledge, the essence of the knowledge comes out in a much illumined way. It helps us to get established in this knowledge. When we go on describing it categorically with so many layers of understanding, it helps us that same I, that one idea that I am Brahman, everything is Brahman. It's not so easy to sip in. It sips in when we go through these layers of uh, understanding, these layers of comprehension. And by again and again repeating that this is Brahman, that is Brahman, this idea that everything is Brahman sips in. So that way this study, this type of study is not really just purely meant for intellectual understanding. It's more of contemplation. It's, it is contemplative by constantly hearing these ideas again and again, again and again. The ideas gradually sips in and it forms the basis of our understanding. It becomes something, uh, a, our awareness. It becomes our, it, it enters our subconscious mind and remains there as our awareness. And that awareness speaks of the spontaneity of our thought process. Even uh, we don't have to consciously think of it. It just spontaneously will be arising in your thoughts. Once you can uh, go on contemplating on these ideas uh, through these various mantras. So that's why they are called mantra. Mananath Trayate Iti Mantra. Go on contemplating on these words it will liberate you, trayate, manana. By contemplating on it, it will liberate, trayate. That's mantra. So that's why we never call this as 
just uh, some stanzas or slokas, they are mantras, because each of them, however, uh, they may appear to be uh, out of context as per the present day is concerned. If we can relate to it and go on contemplating on it, know it for certain, each of them has the power to liberate us. So that's why they are called mantras. So the ninth and the tenth, with which this chapter will be over, we will take up again in the next class. And uh, along with these mantras, we will try to have we will try to just summarize this entire chapter, the first chapter of the second part of Mundakupanishad in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.